We forecast prices and fundamentals. Whether you're a trader, producer, or consumer, you can hedge your bets with Montel's diverse forecasting portfolio. Contact us at salesatmontelnews.com for more info and a free trial. Hello listeners and welcome to the Montel Weekly Podcast. Bring your energy matters in an informal setting. As is now tradition, listeners, in the first part of the year we speak to Tobias Federico, owner and managing director of Berlin-based analysis firm and consultancy Energy Brainpool. Tobias has decades of experience covering energy wholesale markets. What he doesn't know is not worth knowing anyway. So a warm welcome to you, Tobias. Thank you, Richard. It's a really nice welcome from you. Thanks a lot. How's life in in Berlin? Are there any silver linings um, in the COVID gloom? Well, yes, it is. There's a lot of hope um, regarding the vaccination. But actually, I think it was a very quiet Christmas and a very quiet New Year's Eve. But I think it's a good start for the year that we are starting with quietness and hope and speeding up the whole year. Excellent, excellent. Fingers crossed. Anyway, I think I plan to discuss with you some of the key developments in Germany, specifically sort of policy areas, you know, the coal exit and and the renewable uh, law. But let's stick briefly to COVID. And what have you seen the impact on, on the market so far? Has there been any downturn in demand? that you've seen, Tobias? Well, actually, it was in the first shutdown, there was a huge downturn in demand, especially because the industry did shut down. Now in the second one, there's just a little decrease in the demand, but the winter is a bit colder than it was last year. So therefore, we don't have such a high effect on demand now with the second lockdown, even though it started quite lightly and then speeded up a bit in December. So no huge effect on demand as it was in the beginning of the year. So things are coming back to normal, and obviously the the colder weather is kicking in. But we'll return to that in a minute, I'm sure. But how about you know there was talk in the first sort of weeks and months of of the coronavirus pandemic um, about the possibilities for insolvencies or or companies going under. Have you, have we seen any of this in, in Germany at all? Well, actually, not yet. I think the political measures to financially support companies which are having problems, and secondly. We have this, uh, we call it Kurzarbeit, short work, where the government is taking over some of the uh, payment of the employees, helps a lot for companies not to fail bankruptcy and uh, get insolvency this year, but it might come next year. From the energy providers, we don't see big issues there. Of course, there has been less demand and they have procured quite a lot and had to sell the oversupply to the market. But financial-wise, there is no big deal right now, but it might come later. So potentially 2022. And, you know, prices were obviously very low at the start of the pandemic, but now we're seeing very robust, strong prices. To be honest, I see the, the spot's been trading above 70 euros in early December and, and January, you know, although it dipped down, of course, over the Christmas period. And the frontier is up 25% to over over 50 euros. So what, what, what's driving prices at the moment? Well, of course, first it's the weather. Looking into the temperatures outside, it's cold. It's not freezing cold. But um, in the last Christmas periods, we always had quite warm and quite wet weather. Still, it's wet, but it's around about zero degrees centigrade. So it's quite cold. And it was quite cold in December. That's why uh, spot prices are driving up. 
And of course, if it's cloudy and we have less wind, we have the conventional power plants running. That's why we have quite high spot prices. But it's really interesting to see on the long-term market, the year-ahead contract, how it did increase. And it's almost over 50 euro, which is quite a lot. And this is mostly due to um, the EUA prices. And the EUA prices have really increased. They did start a climb in the mid of the year after the, the down dip with the first shock of the corona crisis. And now they have really speeded up. And it's, it's really interesting to see that we have now reached price levels over 50 euro. Mm. And then the front year, I mean, do you expect carbon prices to keep climbing up towards 40 this year? Or will they, uh, you know, trade in this sort of 30 to 35 range, do you think? <laughs> well, it's, it's always difficult to tell with EUA prices. <laughs> uh, if, we, if we do believe in our forecasts, on the long term, they will increase. We usually have underestimated the speed of increase. But um, I do think the EUA prices are the main drivers for uh, protecting the climate. And it's a game changer. Right now, we do see that gas power plants are in the money. Coal power plants are at the money or a little bit out of the money. And mm. um, therefore, um, it could easily be that we will climb up to 40 euro per EUA. On a long-term perspective, in our long-term forecast up to 2040, we are seeing 120 euro per certificate, which is quite necessary also to have. No, that's substantial. Yeah, substantial increase as well. But as you say... Um, you know, it provides that price signal for the for the clean energy transition, doesn't it? If we return to, to Germany, Tobias, we saw at the end of last year, the German government, you know, with its more concrete plans, the auctions for the coal exit and, and the list of mandatory closures. In your view, what are the key takeaways here of, of the policy developments there in the coal exit towards the end of last year? Interesting was it with the first list of coal power plants that even new coal power plants with quite high efficiency wanted to exit earlier than expected. That's something we had, did not expect. We were thinking about that old coal power plants would, would be out of the market due to the high emission. But in fact, it was, I think, much more an economic uh, thought about the total costs and the potential returns so that we have even new coal power plants exiting um, the market. Well, the question is, in the end, does a high EUA price with a low gas price uh, not solve the problem from the market side? And actually it does, but the market is quite volatile. So it could easily change within a year or two. So therefore the hard coal exit is something which uh, gives certain guarantee to reduce CO2 emissions. When you say the, the modern plants, uh, we're talking here Moorburg, uh, the Vattenfall uh, unit and, and RWE's Westfalen E, are those the, the most modern plants you're referring to? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, that's something we did not expect. Well, of course, if you look into the news and the problems they had with these power plants before, it was quite likely, but it wasn't really something where I would say that's one of the first power plants exiting <laughs> the market. But in the end, it was. And it's, it's a, of course, rational behavior from uh, the producer. And uh, of course, also in the auction, the, the bidding prices are quite high. So uh, waiting a bit longer means lower prices. And um, so therefore, it's 
there is a rational behavior behind that, and but something we didn't really expect in the first time. Absolutely. So that's a bit of a surprise there. But then, so you see some of the the plants that were that came online in the late eighties, early nineties. Maybe they will they'll be allowed to run until the uh, to the two thousand thirties. You know. In- yeah, that's interesting to see because in the end, um, you have the short run marginal costs, which are important, and you also have the uh, capital costs, which are quite important. And um, when you take the total costs, of course, the capital costs is is the biggest pressure you're having. So usually we, from the analysis side, from the modeling side, are looking into short-run marginal costs, and that's our only driver. And in this case, it would be rational to shut down old power plants and leave the newer ones. Um, But if you take the total costs into account, then, of course, you um, have much higher costs with newer power plants than with older power plants which is a pity looking into the CO2 emissions itself. Absolutely. And then you, you see the ultra-modern one, that the, the last plant that went online, I think, uh, at some point last year. I can't off the top of my head remember exactly when, but Dutton, that unit, and that, that's going to be allowed to run until uh, late 2030s. Yeah, yeah. Dutton has, has special issues, and um, there were a lot of problems there. And um, it could run, which makes sense in the end, because looking into the efficiency of the power plant, it's not too bad. But then do you think, I mean, in a sense that do you think there'll be some market driven closures? I mean, if you're saying, you know, the carbon, you know, it's on an upward trajectory towards uh, 120 to euros a ton. Do you expect the market to, to drive some some sort of shutdowns? I mean, that could push hard, hard coal fired capacity below the eight gigawatts that's allowed to stay in the market uh, after 2029. I mean, what's your view here? Well, it's it's interesting. Of course, uh, assuming rational behavior, when you don't see a short-term perspective or a mid-term perspective of a power plant, which is out of the money, then you should close down the power plant. Interestingly, we haven't seen that in the past. I'm looking into gas power plants. Gas power plants in the last year have been in the money for the first time since eight years. And for eight years, these gas power plants really didn't exit the market at all. So there was no shutdown of a gas power plant because hope dies in the end. Mm. And um, there was always the hope that the market might be better and there might be a certain day where I would earn a little bit more money. Looking into coal power plants, I could assume the same. Even though the market signals are not so good for coal power plants, there might be certain periods, weather-driven, price-driven, where it makes sense to run these coal power plants with a much higher margin than expected, even though it means that you're running much shorter time. But uh, of course, the design of the coal power plants was between 3,500 and 6,000 hours a year. And uh, they, they are not, might not seeing that when they're out of the money and just hoping for bad weather uh, for the renewables and good weather for them. It's an interesting idea. You could say they'll be idled until we get into these periods of extremely cold weather when there's no wind blowing. You know, the, the famous German winter Dunkelflaute, isn't that what the, you call it? Yeah, right. So that's, that's a bet on the weather. And um, I, I do expect much more of this type of behavior, which is a bit against the nature of the classical uh, power plant producers or power plant investors because they have been expecting a continuous cash flow. And this typical behavior is um, normal for peak power plants, where you just expect these two to three times a year where you're really getting to earn a lot of money. So the investment behavior for new type of power plants just covering these Dunkelflaute periods 
is a complete different one than the traditional investors. And looking into the owners of the coal power plants, either they will change their general behavior, um, looking into good times to earn money, or they just want to idle until they have a much longer period of uh, potential positive cash flow. So for those uh, listeners who are unaware of uh, who are not up to speed on the German jargon, if you like, the, the Dunkelflaute is when it's, uh, you know, periods in the winter, uh, darkness and no wind, if that's, that's correct, Tobias. It's absolutely correct. Unfortunately, we don't have a very good translation into English <laughs> for that. We are German-centric in, in a lot of words, uh, looking into renewables, and the Dunkelflaute is one of this part. It does. It covers it very nicely. It's a, ni- it's a nice piece of jargon, I think, in a sense. Um, but Tobias, we had another auction this week, or another tender. We won't see the results coming out until eight weeks. But uh, what kind of units did you expect to, to have participated there? Honestly, it's really a bit of a bet um, because, uh, again, in the first tender, we have expected other coal power plants to be part of that. And in this tender, it's, it's interesting to see which will come out. I think um, it's really hard to say because, again, rational behavior is not there. Mm. Um, so for us, it's a bit more complicated to tell what's what will be the results. I suppose we'll have to we'll maybe have another chat in two two months' time when the results come out to be us, and then we can we can analyze it a bit more more closely. Absolutely, in this case, it's really necessary because uh, sometimes when you have these unique tenders, and for me, it's still in unique tenders. For us, as an analysis company, it's really difficult to tell. Also, with the other tenders looking into renewable energies for wind. Um, it's always hard to predict an outcome. And that's why there are certain tenders where we just have to wait and see the results and then analyze it. Absolutely. Does that mean that these closures aren't priced in yet? How is the market pricing in the uh, these shutdowns of these, these units? Well, actually, what we do have is that we have this fixed time frame where we have certain megawatt uh, of installed capacities in certain timestamps in the future. And in between that, usually the market and also we as a modeler are expecting a linear decrease. Of course, it might be a bit volatile from year to year. So generally, it's priced into the market. And luckily, last year, we had downturn in the electricity demand. This year, we have to see how what's going on um, looking into the electricity demand. So I think both is important for the pricing. One is the... Um, reduce of electricity demand and the other one is the reduction of the guaranteed capacity by missing coal power plants. On the long-term view, it has been integrated, but uh, when we look into our model results, at least it was in the last year, that uh, for the years 2023 and 2024, we did expect much higher prices than the market was trading. But what is important to know is that usually it's just the settlement price by market makers and not real trader price in such a long end of the trading curve. Exactly. So those prices are fairly illiquid, aren't they? I mean, it would be safe to say. Yeah. Yeah. But then do you think there's more potential here for, for the upside? Well, yes, I would guess so. First is UA prices, which are always good for a surprise on, on the upside movement. And secondly, of course, when the market realizes, ooh, there's certain capacity missing in combination with the weather risk, because we had quite mild winters in the past. And in the last 10 years, I think we had eight years, which are really warm. So therefore, I do expect that the weather will give us a certain surprise. So the upward trend is very likely. At our conferences, Tobias, you, you made it very clear, or one of 
when when we could actually <laughs> meet in person and have a an event such as the the, the Montel's German Energy Day, you highlighted the danger of a, a capacity squeeze from sort of 2022. Is that is that still an issue? It's again, it's a bit difficult to say because we do now have compared to uh, I think it was in Vienna when he had it, um, mm. this meeting. It was pre-COVID. So there will be, uh, we do expect a return to normal electricity demand after two to three years, after 2020. So, but the question is, um, what has been the expectations when we said it in that time? And actually, it was really that uh, we did expect a quite high increase due to um, e-mobility and power to gas, power to X mm. um, in that period. So I think the risk is still there, but it's not as high as pre-COVID. So maybe there's a, a year or two time lag before that becomes such an issue? Well, yes, I think so. And um, this one or two years could be very helpful in the case that new capacities might come to the market, either offshore wind energy or gas power plants, because it's, we do expect a five-year period for new conventional power plants to come to the market. And in this case, it only could be gas power plants. I mean, I'm, I can't see anyone building new coal-fired plants anywhere in... in well, <laughs> well, almost worldwide. Uh, yeah, exactly, true. exactly. It just doesn't make any sense at the moment. But then, Toby, I think that's that's very interesting. I think that's uh, that's a very good summary of the key elements of what was happening with the, the the coal exit law. But if we turn to the renewable side, there are also a lot of developments here in the re- renewable or the new renewable law in Germany or revised renewable law. What were your takeaways there? Well, the hope is that with this new law, we will have an incentive to have new investments into renewable energies. Um, it's pointing into a quite good direction, honestly. And of course, they are looking. we have to look into details, especially also of the old EEG power plants, which are phasing out now, because this is the first year, and it's interesting to see 2021, where we do have the first EEG power plants, which have been installed in 2000 or pre-2000, jumping out of the financial support, what's happening with them. And we, we of course, have the PPA issues there. And so I think the new energy, uh, renewable energy law gives a certain support um, looking into the right direction because the target is quite high to reach our goals in 2030. And now looking backward, we almost have reached our 2020 goal. But this was not due to political decisions <laughs> or investment behavior. This was just due to COVID. Mm. And that's, that's the nice story when you plan a certain percentage of renewables in a certain year. You don't say what is the baseline. And still, we are looking quite critical into the baseline electricity demand because that's the measurement of the 65% renewables. Mm. If the electricity demand is increasing due to power to X, power to gas or e-mobility, then, of course, it's hard to reach the 65% uh, target. And, uh, of course, if we do have uh, the next crisis in 10 years, which is quite likely that we will have a certain type of crisis, then it's easy to reach this goal, but it's not a political decision and it's rather a random. Mm. Uh, absolutely. I mean, if we could just go back a step, Tobias, and talk about the renewable units or the wind units that were part of the the original subsidy system, the feed tariff system, has that system been extended by six months or are these facilities now able to produce guarantees of origin and becoming more interesting to PPA developers? The interesting thing is that um, when you look into wind power plants and the extension of their uh, production period, 
from the technical side, they might be able to run another five to 10 years. That's why we have seen there a run to PPAs in general. What is also interesting to see that with the financial support of the EEG law, you have not been allowed to produce guarantees of origins. Mm. And now that the financial support is gone, they are allowed to produce these GOOs. And um, therefore, the PPA always comes with a combination. But the energy part was much more on the focus than the green energy part, so which is the, the guarantee of origin. And we have seen a certain run to the five-year contracts. But on, especially on windmills, there are some other issues, uh, which are the permissions for the ground, permissions for the stability, and they might run out after a certain period. And then usually the power plant, even though the engine itself might be still able to run, has some other issues where it doesn't really make sense financial-wise to let the power plant run any longer. The price level, and this is one addition I would like to add, is that the current price level of 50 euro might be quite interesting for PPA contracts. Absolutely. Which is much better than a 35 euro. For sure, for sure. But I just think, because what I'm hearing is that some of these, although they were due to end the subsidies, that some have been extended by a period of time. Is that correct? So that they won't actually come into the, as you call it, the sort of merchant market and, and for a number of months. Well, actually, it might well be. I'm not really aware of that right now. Mm. But... Um, it helps a bit to organize the transition from the financial side, just to avoid that it will be shut down. But a much longer extension really doesn't make a lot of sense. Absolutely. I mean, I think there's a, obviously a growing awareness and a growing interest in a lot of these uh, units that are they're coming uh, into the merchant market, uh, obviously from the PPEA development side. But Tobias, when, if we're just touching on the demand side again, when you talk about power to X, what do you mean there? Well, power to X is um, the X uh, you can be replaced by a lot of other things. Mm-hmm. We do use electricity now as a energy source which has not been used beforehand, for example, to produce heat out of electricity, which is something in Germany which is not quite common because mm-hmm. usually you use heating oil or gas to produce heat. Power to gas, for example, where you produce hydrogen is something which is interesting. But from hydrogen, you can also produce methane, so artificial methane, and that's power to gas. Power to mobility could be something else, which is electromobility in general. So power to X is a, it's not a typical German phrase, but I think it shows quite well that electricity will become much more important as a type of energy source as it was before for non-typical electricity usage. Exactly. So the electrification of transport and heating, in other words, you know, that's that's the big growth potential there. And also the production of artificial fuels, which is hydrogen in the first step, methane in the second step, and who knows what else what will come um, in the situation where we have a huge surplus of um, electricity out of renewable power plants. We could use this electricity to produce other sources of energy. Absolutely, absolutely. What about e-mobility? What's happening in, in Germany here? What's, what's the take-up rate of uh, electric cars? Is it, uh, is it proceeding uh, slowly or disappointingly? Or? It has picked up quite well. Of course, it has not picked up as well as expected. And there is always this phrase, and this was quite interesting to see also 20 years ago, that you are always expecting 1 million cars of a new technology within 10 years. So we have expecting 1 million cars of electrical cars uh, within 10-year time frame. And we did expect that with hydrogen cars using a few cells, 
in the early uh, 2000 years. So um, there was this hype of fuel cell cars. So they have been expecting about 1 million fuel cell cars on the streets in 2010. And in the end, it was only a few thousand. Mm. The e-mobility sector did pick up much better right now. But still, the question is, is electricity really a good source for mobility or should we use hydrogen? And again, mm. we are then either in burning hydrogen in an engine or using fuel cell cars. So I think the hydrogen hype will pick up different alternatives of mobility. And e-mobility is one part, but the second part will be also definitely hydrogen. Both electricity is the main source of producing the fuel or the mobility. Very interesting stuff, Tobias. I think uh, you know a certain you know certain questions need to be answered, and and the certainty is is still not fully there if i uh, read between the lines there but i think that's that's about all from the montel weekly podcast this week so thank you very much tobias and i hope we don't have to wait another full year before speaking to you again because there are a number of issues that i'm sure we'd like to talk about so once again tobias thank you very much you're always welcome richard it's always a pleasure and it's great that we have a tradition after two years to have the opening podcast for montel absolutely perfect yeah so, listeners, you can now follow the podcast on our own Twitter account, aptly named the Montel Weekly Podcast. Please direct message any suggestions, questions, or, you know, let us know if you, if you think you have a good idea for a guest on the show. You can also send us an email to podcast at montelnews.com. Lastly, remember to keep up to date with all that's happening in energy markets on Montel News. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. Please remember to leave a review if you can. Thank you and goodbye.